0: We're learning today the extraordinary planning that went into President Biden's secret trip to war-torn Ukraine.
1: You know, one year later, Kyiv stands, and Ukraine stands, democracy stands, the Americans stand with you, and the world stands with you.
2: President Biden is getting a lot of heat for visiting Ukraine before East Palestine Ohio since this month's derailment crisis.
3: That was the biggest slap in the face. That tells you right now he doesn't care about us. So uh, he can send every agency he wants to, but uh, I found that out this morning in one of the briefings that he was in Ukraine giving millions of dollars away to people over there and not to us. And I'm furious. Yeah, President's Day in our country, he's,
1: he's uh, over in Ukraine. So that tells you what kind of guy he is. There's one president who doesn't have much to brag about. He's only two years into his presidency, but Is there a moment that Joe Biden is going to be remembered for? Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance when you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. As the Taliban complete their takeover, the chaotic departure of embassy staff is drawing comparisons to the fall of Saigon during the Vietnam War. Just look at this uh, side by side. On the left, Americans being airlifted from the U.S. Embassy
0: in Saigon in 1975, and on the right, the same scene today in Kabul.
1: Nope, it's not a bird, it's not a plane, it's a Chinese spy balloon, and it's within the borders of our country we got to remember Xi Jinping, um, by spreading COVID-19,
4: by um, backing the fentanyl gangs, is killing Americans in America. This is one of the world's most dangerous figures, Rachel, and people have got to be concerned and get ready for the dangerous storm, the dangerous storm that is coming. But do you believe that China is preparing for war? Yes, the signs are unmistakable. He is mobilizing China's civilians for war. In July, a Chinese entrepreneur making medical products for the civilian sector told me that Communist Party officials came to him and ordered him to switch his production lines from civilian products to military products. We have to worry about the dangerous storm that is coming. Yoo hoo!
5: Well, i'm a little behind folks and that's because uh here in the final days of february uh, i was compelled to switch gears and talk about what's known as the national divorce issue uh i know <laughs> uh, we got a lot to talk about in this episode and like i've said before folks things move fast in the world and there's always a lot to talk about but don't worry dry your eyes I have returned for yet another rendering of outraged but righteous rhetoric right here from the Carolina Command Center down here on the ground in the good old USA. This is The Last Stand podcast, and as you may have guessed, I am your less than humble host, Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame.
4: We want our national policy based on what we know in our hearts is morally right.
5: Well, here we are again, folks, another awe-inspiring episode of Podcast Excellence. Uh, and like I said, I'm a little behind pushing this episode out uh, because, as you heard, uh, the topic of a national divorce came up recently, and it compelled me to talk about it here. All right. Uh, especially after the conversation that I had with a colleague of mine who is, in fact, in favor of such a thing, all right? Now, uh, let me tell you uh, that, um, well, look, first of all, welcome to the show, folks, okay? Uh, I hope your February was a good one. Uh, I have been extremely busy with work, as I'm sure all of you have been, Uh, and uh, I'm starting to get ready for spring, okay? Um, When I come home from work, you know, I look at the house, I look at the property, uh, and I just start getting antsy about the yard work that I want to do. Okay, uh, the exterior painting that I want to do, to the trim work on the house, uh, the flooring in the attic, uh, and uh, one or two other things that I know that I want to do. Uh, I'm getting antsy about it. And I'm going to tell you, you know, from time to time, I look at the prices of uh, you know uh, flooring for the attic. Uh, that's, that's a big project that I want to do. Uh, (laughs) materials have really, uh, the prices have increased wildly. I mean, it's just crazy. It's still up there. Okay. It's come down a little bit, uh, but it's still up there. And I'm like, damn, you know, uh, I've saved up, you know, money so that I can do it. Uh, and I'm about there where I need to be to be able to start this project. But I'm going to tell you, man, prices i mean they're just crazy these days um which is which is why i get pissed off when when biden starts talking about how everything is great you know uh kjp talks about um you know prices are up because the economy's doing really great yeah okay whatever jack wagon uh but anyway so yeah so that's that's my february and um uh, it's going to be my March and uh, immediate future. But uh, but anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene of the Republican Party floated the notion of what she referred to as a national divorce. Okay. Now, this isn't the first time that that this has been discussed or, or been brought up, uh, this national divorce idea. But she brought it up. Okay. Now, if you don't know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, she's a Republican, all right. She's a politician, and uh, and I will say uh, that uh, she's floated a few what I call weird notions uh, from time to time in her short time in Congress. Okay, she, she's a wild card, all right. Uh, but uh, you know, let me let me tell you what um, let me tell you what Wikipedia and Googs say about Marjorie Taylor Greene, because uh, if you look her up, uh, you'll find in Wikipedia, this is typical of what you'll find written about any Republican, really, uh, or, or, or a lot of them, okay, uh, in places like Wikipedia or other leftist news outlets or commentary uh, on the Googs, okay? Um, and in fact, it's, it's funny because you don't find any... When you look in Google, all right, when you Google something ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time you'll find that the references uh, and articles and commentary and things like it's all leftist okay you don't find a uh, you don't find a right leaning uh, commentary on Republican politicians too often but here's what it says about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. okay. Uh, It says she's an American politician, businesswoman, and far-right conspiracy theorist who has been the U.S. representative for Georgia's 14th congressional district since 2021. A member of the Republican Party, she was elected to Congress in 2020 following the retirement of Republican Tom Graves. She was re-elected in 2022. It goes on to say, uh, Green has promoted promoted anti-Semitic white supremacist and far right conspiracy theories, including the white genocide conspiracy theory, uh, QAnon theories, and Pizzagate. Other extremist conspiracy theories that she's promoted include government involved uh, mass shootings in the United States, murders perpetrated by the Clinton family, or what she refers to as the Clinton body count, and 9 11 conspiracy theories. Uh, it goes on to say here the shocking discovery was uncovered from hundreds of posts and comments from Green's page that were reviewed uh, by a news outlet. I don't remember what outlet that was, uh, but I think they're referencing the Twitter account. Uh, before running and ultimately winning her U.S. House seat, representing Georgia's 14th district, uh, Green, in 2018 and 2019, signaled the approval of suggestions that Democrat leaders should be murdered. Can you believe this, folks? And no. That's not what happened. When a commenter wrote that a bullet to the head would be quicker uh, in reference to removing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in January of 2019, Green reportedly liked it. OK, thumbs, thumbs up, right? Uh, she liked the, the, the comment, I guess, uh, as she also did in response to another comment that suggested that FBI agents should be executed for being part of a deep state to undermine former President Donald Trump. Uh, A conspiracy theory popularly known as QAnon, which Green has publicly supported. (laughs) Uh, Another post from 2018 saw one commenter write, now do we get to hang them? Meaning H&O. And this was referring to former President Barack Obama and presidential candidate and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Now, in in this thread, Green reportedly replied, the stage is being set. Players are being put in place. We must be patient. This must be done perfectly or liberal judges will let them off. Okay, now this was in reference to, uh, I think specifically in reference to uh, uh, Hillary Clinton um, more than Barack Obama, uh, but uh, I believe it was in reference to... Um, the laws that Hillary Clinton obviously broke, uh, and uh, some of the soft treatment that she got from the FBI. Now, before running for Congress, she supported calls to execute prominent Democrat Party politicians, including Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. As a congresswoman, she equated the Democratic Party with Nazis uh, and compared COVID-19 safety measures to the persecution of Jews during the Holocaust. She later apologized for that comparison. During the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine, Green promoted Russian propaganda and praised Vladimir Putin. <laughs> she promoted Russian propaganda. Well, we all know how that turned out. Uh, Green identifies as a Christian nationalist. Um, now, look, folks, this this isn't this characterization is is far out there. Okay wildly unfair okay uh because what they what they basically accuse her of here uh especially in reference to uh calling for the murder of certain politicians uh that's bullshit okay Uh, she didn't call for the execution of anyone okay uh and her acknowledging followers and the comments that they made whether they were literal or hyperbolic okay Uh, Does not equate to her own views, all right, and certainly doesn't reflect any statement that she made, okay. Now, of course, she had to apologize on Twitter, uh, but I found that extremely ironic since we had all sorts of comments being made about Donald Trump uh, from the left, to include actual photographs on the internet with Kathy Griffin holding Donald Trump's severed head, okay. Now, she got backlash for that, but, but, you know, I, I find it extremely ironic uh, that, you know, the left can say and do whatever they want, uh, and yet no real apologies come from that side, okay? And the characterizations of the Kathy Griffin incident, you know, where she, she, she was holding Donald Trump's severed head, okay, holding a representation of his severed head, uh, there, was, there was no real apologies made there, uh, and Democrats didn't see what the problem was with that. Uh, It goes on to say she's a strong supporter of former President Donald Trump. Uh, She aided and supported Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 U.S. presidential election and has since supported Trump's false claims of a stolen election. She called for the results of the 2020 U.S. presidential election in Georgia to be decertified and was part of the Sedition Caucus. Listen to that. Sedition Caucus. Uh, a group of Republican legislators who unsuccessfully challenged votes for Joe Biden during the 2021 electoral college vote count, even though federal agencies and courts overseeing the election found no evidence of electoral fraud. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not going to get into the weeds about that, but we all saw uh, many, many instances of what could be considered at the least irregularity, and at the worst, uh, outright criminality. Uh, but, but, you know, <clears throat> uh, the FBI found no evidence of it. Of course they didn't because the fix was in. All right? uh, days after the Biden inauguration, Green filed articles of impeachment, alleging abuse of power. On February 4th, 2021, the U.S. House of Representatives uh, voted to remove her from all committee roles because of course it did. Okay. Uh, this was in response to uh, her statements and endorsements of political violence. All right. Uh, 11 Republicans joined the unanimous Democrats in that vote. Now, I really should get in there and tell you who the Republicans are. I don't know who all they were, um, but they're the usual suspects. I'll tell you that. Uh, let's see. Uh Yeah, she was appointed to new committee roles in 2023. Um, So, uh, okay. So, to say the least, she's a wild one, okay? Uh, I don't personally believe or support everything that she said, um, but I do support her right to express her opinion, as I do for Democrats, right? I know. uh, Sounds weird, but I do. And I do believe that there are consequences for what a person says, whether it's fair or unfair, All right. And if it's unfair, then then that ought to be addressed. OK, but to be honest, I think sometimes that there ought to be consequences for what people say. Uh, When the left blatantly lies to the American people, um, there ought to be consequences, as there were when Republicans became the majority in the House and Kevin McCarthy tossed Adam Schiff off the intelligence committee. All right. When he tossed Ilhan Omar off of the Human Rights Committee for her statements about America uh, and her anti-Jewish sentiments uh, about the Jewish people. Uh, so there are consequences uh, to what's said, or there can be, um, especially when it's overtly wrong. Uh, and we do see evidence of that. Not often, all right, when it comes to the left, uh, but it does happen, as it did with Green and, uh, and these leftists that I just mentioned, okay? But, uh, but the other day all right, uh, getting back to what we were talking about, uh, Green brought up the notion of what she referred to as a national divorce. She's proposing a national divorce. Now, what is this? Uh, Blue states go their way uh, and divorce themselves from the red states, okay, and vice versa. Uh, But the government at the federal level would still be responsible for doing its duty for all 50 states, Now, what I think she's talking about here really is decentralizing the federal government, okay, Uh, returning, I guess, constitutional principle, you know, applying that to the federal government, all right, you know, uh, this is what the federal government cannot do, and we need to hold them to it because the Constitution says so, all right, Uh, but some of the things that she was saying about this national divorce idea didn't make sense to me, okay, if you want to live in a blue state and get rid of police, uh, then go for it, right? Uh, you can have that in a state, okay? And red states will do the opposite, okay? Uh, that's, her, that's her characterization of all this, all right? And this is the example that she gives. If you want to go to a blue state uh, and have a blue state uh, in a national divorce, uh, and in that state you want to get rid of police, then, uh, then you can do that, all right? And, uh, you know, just move to the state that you want to live in. Cops or no cops, okay? Uh, As one example here, all right? If you want no cops, then you live in a state uh, with no cops. And if you live in a state that has cops, then you have no right to protest, and you can't change anything because it's a red state, all right? If you're a leftist living in a red state, you have no right to protest, you can't change anything, Uh, and uh, she even floated the idea that you shouldn't be allowed to vote for five years. Now, this is literally how she put it on Sean Hannity's radio show, okay? And Sean Hannity uh, asked the logical question, okay? Now, you know, his question was, how would we accomplish this? All right, constitutional amendment? Uh, Convention of states, maybe? I mean, that, that, that was the logical question to ask, I think one of the logical questions that you should ask. Um, but, uh, but that's how she characterized this idea of a national divorce and what, and how that would possibly work. And you'll play some hell, uh, on social media, on YouTube and other places, uh, to find, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's complete, uh, interview or her complete statements or complete thoughts about, uh, about her idea of this national divorce. But, um, Let's listen to a couple of uh, bites here of Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, with her idea of a national divorce.
4: right. Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene made waves over the holiday weekend with this tweet calling for a national divorce after facing backlash from Democrats and some Republicans. Greene followed up with a detailed thread explaining why she thinks this is a good idea green is saying that a national divorce would empower individual states to form a smaller government reduce the federal debt set their own environmental standards and the congresswoman has another idea as well banning people who move from blue states to red states from voting for five years so they don't bring their bad politics with them i actually favor that idea anyway here with more is marjorie Taylor green you know i i read this and and then i read your comments on it You know. I think most people instinctively want this to be the United States of America, and here's my question: You know, how did you get to this this point? I mean, I I look at topics. For example, how do you reconcile defund the police and no bail laws with law and order? How do you reconcile secure borders and wide open borders? How do you? Reconcile energy independence with energy dependence and new green dealism. How do you reconcile peace through strength uh, with with people that want to gut our defense? You know, there I, I don't see middle ground on a lot of these issues. So, what is the other answer if it's not a divorce?
2: Well, exactly, Sean. That's the problem and where we are today. And in, in my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that. At least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction. And we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default. And we have to do something about that. But that was the right and the left that did that to the American people on their own. But the Democrats never stop pushing their policies, their ideas, and their culture on Republicans and the right. And we are so sick and tired of it. We are tired of our children being taught ideas and ideologies in school that we do not want our children taught, like gender lies. We do not want our children um, being having their gender changed or transitioned. We, we can't even have women's sports and privacy in our bathrooms and women in prison can't even have spaces. ESG, environmental social governance, has completely taken over corporations. And this is a huge policy pressed on private businesses through the government from Democrats. If you're a white male today in the financial industry, you can forget it. You're a dinosaur. You're going extinct. No one should ever be hired by their skin color or their gender or, or Marjorie, how they identify. It should only be about your character and your ability to do the job.
4: What do you say to your critics that say that our our country is governed by our our Constitution? You swore an oath to defend it. Is there any way that America, in spite of our differences, are we at a point where, okay, you either win an election and your side is up to bat or you lose an election and their agenda gets pushed forward? Uh, Or do you do you actually think there will be a growing movement towards this because the divide is so deep?
2: I actually think this is a much bigger movement than most people in Washington even realize. And you can take a look at the tweets that I made just yesterday. The amount of likes and retweets that those tweets got should tell people a lot. And they're just not aware of it yet because they don't talk to regular people. You see, this isn't ending our union. This is shrinking the federal government, which we need to stop our spending. Our spending is out of control. We can abolish departments and different parts of our federal government and give states more power and control to conduct their affairs and their laws that fit the people that live in those states this is more respectful towards all Americans and it could end the fighting and hopefully we can respect each other once again
4: and do you expect it will happen last question
2: well I think it's something that we should work towards because you know it's kind of the vision that our founding fathers had for America and I think it's a great one it worked in the beginning we just got it completely out of control so I hope we can get there
4: all
5: right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, thanks for explaining it all to us. We appreciate it, as always. Now, once you hear this whole, you know, you've listened to this whole interview with Sean Hannity on, on uh, Fox News. Uh, and I wish I could find the, the radio interview, um, but uh, you can't find it anywhere. Uh, once you hear what this, this suggestion of a national divorce, uh, you know, what this really means, and get past the drama that the surface suggestion of national divorce creates, particularly with the left mob and others who literally jumped all over it, uh, you know, the term national divorce, you can start to look at what the objective here is, you know, f- from her perspective uh, and apply some brain power to it. Okay. It's, it's, uh, you got people out there saying that she's, uh, you know, uh, fomenting sedition. All right. Uh, Committing treason and other things like that. Uh, And I don't think that's the case here. Okay, now, others uh, out there in the media have discussed the idea of a national divorce or even secession. Uh, They've discussed the political divide in this country and what that means. Um, Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire touched on this not too long ago. Uh, Here's his thoughts on the matter. Can you name one shared value that binds Americans together? One thing we can agree on? And I'm talking about fundamental basic
3: things, and there really is nothing you want to answer well, we all believe in freedom, but that clearly is not the case, or at the very least we we you know that will uh, raise the question of okay, what is freedom? How do we understand that term so we don't have freedom in common we don't have anything in common and that is a serious problem and one we should be talking about what is it that binds America together? We are people, but in what sense are we A people. And it would seem like the only thing is just the borders that we all happen
6: to live within the same borders. But then of course those borders are being erased. So we don't even have that anymore.
5: Now I had this discussion, uh, this very discussion about national divorce, uh, what I call secession. Okay. Uh, I actually had this discussion with a friend of mine uh, here a few days ago, uh, and he happens to be in favor of a national divorce. Um, he's in favor of at least a national divorce, okay? Uh, But he also believes in abolishing the federal government, okay? Uh, And really reducing the power of even state and local governments, okay? And I think at the core, and I told him this, (laughs) I think at the core, he's really one of those individuals that would, uh, I think from his perspective, uh, we don't need government at all, all right? Uh, He would prefer to live... Completely without governments, okay, or without some sort of you know government entity uh, in his life, and in the interest of full disclosure here, uh, I want to be clear: I do not favor a national divorce, okay. I don't favor a secession of states. However, I don't necessarily disagree that power in any government needs to be as decentralized or reduced. You know the authoritative nature of governments. Uh, needs to be reduced their overreach needs to be reduced Uh, i think you know government from your local all the way on up to the federal needs to be uh less intrusive okay uh to the smallest degree okay and this goes for individual liberty uh life as you know for community society and the nation as a whole okay uh right down to the individual okay that's what i think All right. Now, others in the Republican Party and conservatives alike, uh, you know, don't really think that a national divorce is desirable. Uh, They don't necessarily support it, nor do they think that a national divorce is feasible.
6: Now, almost every night we bring you some blue state woke horror story that is like affecting our schools, our workplaces, even our safety. And it's very frustrating to see beautiful places like Seattle and Portland, Chicago, descend into darkness because of bad governance. So I really empathize with this sentiment that something outside the box needs to be done to just stop the madness. Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman for a few years now, has called for something akin to a national divorce.
2: Red states could choose uh, in how they allow people to vote in their states. What I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if, if Democrat voters uh, choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children taught these horrible things, and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support, well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get to vote for five years.
6: Okay, well, first, a law prohibiting American citizens who've not committed a crime from voting would probably not withstand legal scrutiny And second, how would this, like a national divorce, be good for conservatism? Now, why would we want to embrace the states that gave us Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, but essentially give up on the states that gave us Reagan and Trump? Imagine if Youngkin had given up on Virginia, or if Republicans in Long Island gave up on New York. The last thing we need is an American breakup of any sort. Remember, a motto of this show, almost from the start, over five years ago, has been no state left behind. Just because it it often seems like Democrats have given up on America themselves, doesn't mean ever that Republicans or conservatives should. They should not. I'm certainly not willing to give up on the states that gave us Sinatra, John Wayne, or that welcomed my grandparents from Poland. There are good, hardworking people in Illinois, in New York, and in California, Washington State, who don't want to move and who are looking for new leadership so let's give it to them keep organizing keep registering people to vote and i'll get get real about early voting keep making the case that liberalism is failing everywhere it's tried joining me now is florida congressman matt gates congressman now marjorie taylor green um said in her tweet that we need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government Everyone I talk to says this. Well, again, I understand how frustrating it is to see these states again descend into darkness, but do you agree with what she's saying here?
0: I'm not for a national divorce, but I do think the federal government should at least have to spend the night on the couch for, the, for a while, like, you know, Bill Clinton had to after the Monica Lewinsky stuff. I've been with Marjorie Taylor Greene as we've traveled to places like California advocating for the God-fearing, red-blooded Americans who live there and too often we see a homogenized federal wokeness pushed on parts of the country who don't want it. Uh, I believe that the best pushback is a national renewal, not a national divorce. It's something that Marjorie Taylor Greene is certainly helping to inspire. But like, look, we're a country that when we had the presidency, the House and the Senate, we couldn't even secure the border. So I don't believe we would be able to effectuate any type of national mm-hmm. divorce. And I think that the politics of... Uh, the America first priorities would do a great deal to unify us. And hey, it, it would be one thing, Laura, to reject a national divorce more fervently if we didn't have our leaders cheating on the country with Ukraine, which is what we saw from President Biden recently.
6: Well, but Congressman, to that point, I mean, we have r- lots of Republicans in the Senate, pretty much the entire Republican leadership, who, as far as I can tell, are are willing for us to stay in 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 Ukraine with funding Ukraine for 30 40 years. I mean that I mean I don't I don't think that's what the Republican electorate wants. So I mean we have just as much of a problem with Republican leadership to some extent as we do with some of the Democrat leadership. At least you know where the Democrats are, they're way to the left. And a lot of these Republicans are pretending to play conservative when they're really on the side of China or you know, globalization or globalism and against their own electorate. Isn't
0: that the case? Undeniably. And it's infuriating that in blue states where we could have more Enthusiastic candidacies and campaigns, we often nominate these rhino Republicans. And right now, the only area code where funding for Ukraine is universally popular is the 202 area code, because out in the country, people are wondering why we don't care more about our own sovereignty. I think it's debasing for our own leaders to go there and pay for the pensions of Ukrainian government officials, while here in our country, we have. Pension funds for our police and firefighters that go unfunded. And when you see the extent to which we're willing to pour cash on a historically corrupt country, it is as if we have learned no lessons from the past. Like, we just lost a 20-year war to goat herders with rifles in Afghanistan, and now all of a sudden we're poking a nuclear power in Russia, where Vladimir Putin's like some sort of bond villain that becomes more dangerous and deranged as Russia continues to lose power and influence. So we are majoring in the minors by, in, by involving ourselves excessively in this war right, in but Ukraine. It, we yeah. ought to raise our gaze and confront the China threat. Well, I I
6: mean, you know, I've been I've been singing the China song for, you know, 20 years, 25 years now. So I completely agree with you. But none of this is aided by a, quote, national divorce. Again, that doesn't solve any of these problems. Uh, So uh, it's and it's now an argument that the Democrats are going to use against us in 2024. saying, well, those people want the country to be split in two. Even that's not it's not really what she's saying. But it's such an easily uh, caricatured sentiment and so easily distorted that I just don't I don't think it's really worth the worth the bother of even making the argument. I mean, that's my point. You're just giving them a bat to hit you over the head with.
0: So I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is making an invigorated argument for federalism, which I think a lot of voters would ascribe to. I don't think that it's helpful when we have uh, Democrats trying to divide us, even divide parents from their own children, by pushing woke ideology in the classroom. So the way to make this debate constructive is for the House of Representatives under Republican control to use the power of the purse to defund the woke, weaponized federal government from the Department of Education, to the Department of Labor, to even elements of the Department of Justice and the FBI, and that's where there has to be Republican stridens, not just in press releases and floor speeches, but when we actually get to the debt limit and the appropriations bills. And guess what? Because of the fights that we had in early January, we actually have exquisite tools now to target those agencies Time and target those it. bureaucrats with specific votes to defund them and defang them.
6: Yeah. And, and also legislation that it does have some bipartisan support like banning TikTok and removing the permanent normal trade relations status for China. That would that would shake it up. Congressman, great to see you. And again, we empathize with the frustration of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Just not the solution.
5: Now, I think Laura Ingram is dead on, right on. OK. Uh, and I think Matt Gates is, too. All right. A national divorce is not a good idea, nor do I think that it's feasible. OK. There are more effective ways to deal with extremist leftist ideologies uh, and moves to fundamentally destroy the republic that we are meant to be. Now, you know that the democrats and their leftist supporters would if they could take complete control of the country and impose their brand of tyranny on the people if they were given half the chance okay we've seen it we've heard it from their own mouths as they've called for the public removal and ostracization of conservatives from government uh, right on down to the public square but the Republican equivalent to separating the states so that the left could do what they want in their states and the red states could do what they want in those states. Uh, that isn't the answer, folks. OK, so why why are people talking about it? All right. Why is it being brought up again? All right. Because th- this discussion isn't just happening in 2023. This has happened uh, throughout the years. OK. Uh, and I think Laura Ingram touched on this uh, in, in, in the segment with Matt Gates. What you're talking about here is political ideologies, okay, that are so polarized uh, that the two have no common ground, okay? And the people who support those particular ideologies, uh, the right and the left, they have no common ground anymore. Um, And and there are reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into that. um, But, you know, it's like I was saying the other day, people in general are fickle. All right, you know they they change their minds. Things change. Okay, we saw that in New York uh, in this last midterm election. Okay, what Marjorie Taylor Greene is talking about here in in the idea of a national divorce. Okay, separating blue states and red states. uh, What she's really what she's talking about there in that circumstance is is really segregation. Okay, and isolation based on political affiliation or 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 ideology or philosophy. Okay. Um, look, folks, uh, the people already have the right to elect legislatures and a government that will effect the political will of the people. Okay? It's it's the responsibility and obligation of the people to understand how this government works and to understand what it is that they're voting for. Okay? Many of us do. But unfortunately too many do not. All right. Uh, and the federal government being comprised of people should be reduced in size and its power somewhat decentralized for a great many things that the Constitution articulates. OK, in other words, uh, you know, uh, we have to get back to understanding what the federal government can do and what it cannot do. All right. We, we got to get back to the things that it's not allowed to do and the things that the federal government is obligated to do, okay? Uh, the national presidential elections could be adversely affected by uh, a segregation of states. All right? Even people, you know, individuals could be adversely affected by this, and they would be from my perspective, okay? Um, the problem isn't location, okay? The problem is people, all right? And to think that anyone living in a blue state or a red state uh to think that they would be stuck with whatever that state decrees without being able to protest it or change it or at least debate it or vote on it uh i think is a form of tyranny now look i get what 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 marjorie taylor green's saying here okay i I get to what uh she's you know going for all right and decentralizing the federal government or reducing its reach and authority is something that I can get behind, okay? But a national divorce without, you know, uh, uh, secession, okay? Uh, You know, creating two, you know, basically countries within a country, uh, I don't think it's possible, nor do I think it's desirable. Creating states that do one thing or the other in accordance with, you know, their particular ideology uh, and telling people that they wouldn't have the right to change it, uh, you know, they can simply just move to, you know, the state that they align with, uh, the state that does the one thing or the other thing, uh, in my less than humble opinion, is tyranny, all right? But, you know, like I said, when you get past all of the drama in this, uh, I get what Marjorie Taylor Greene is going for, all right? Um, I, I get it, folks, okay? And, and like I said, if you, if you divided the red states from the blue states, okay, um, in my mind, I'm asking, you know, why even have representatives of the states to the, to the, to the federal government, all right, if certain issues are going to be enacted as a matter of where you're located, all right, uh, unless, unless you're talking about representatives going to Washington to uh, make sure that the federal government does what it's obligated to do, all right, but uh, like I said, I, I, I don't believe in a national divorce. I don't believe in a, a separation of the states. Uh, no, I, I can't get behind that. I can get behind what uh, her suggestion leads to. I can, I can, you know, like I said, reducing the power and, and overreach of the federal government, uh, even the state governments and local governments. Okay, I can get behind that. Now, if we know anything about the left... It's this. The left in this country uh, want one-party rule, okay? They want to subvert the republic and fundamentally transform it into something that it was never meant to be, okay? And they're trying to do it by indoctrinating your kids, okay? They're doing it by throwing the border wide ass open, okay? They're doing it by creating racial tensions and fomenting citywide riots, you know, the kind that destroy towns and cities across America, Uh, They're doing it by protecting criminals uh, with their no-bail policies and defund the police movements, and they're increasingly putting the American people at risk because of it. They've completely wrecked the economy, and they've failed spectacularly at defending this country from China and other tyrannical regimes that seek to harm the United States by virtue of political compromise, criminality, and simple inaction, okay? Okay. They seek to subjugate the people by race uh, and they accuse Republicans uh, and conservatives of committing the very crimes that they themselves have committed. And they continue to lie to the American people about all of it. All this and more is the cause of the underlying unrest of the people and the root of suggestions of segregation of states and secessions. But this separation of states is not the answer, folks. Okay. Now, all this being said, how many people down here on the ground, uh, here in the good old USA, actually favor a national divorce? Well, uh, surprisingly, that information is difficult to come by, all right? There's a couple of articles and polls uh, that I was able to find, uh, you know, and that are out there that kind of delve into that question, but interestingly enough, There are far more articles and polls conducted within the last year or two that talk about civil war and whether or not the people feel that we're headed in that direction. In the next segment, let's talk about what the rest of the country feels about this issue. Uh, We already heard what leftists are calling it, seditious, treasonous. (laughs) That's rich, coming from the left. Uh, It's actually not treason to suggest it, and... um, A lot of Democrats and their supporters are saying that Marjorie Taylor Greene and conservatives in general are driving us toward, or trying to drive us toward, a civil war. If you listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene's explanation uh, and clarification of the idea and what the motivation of it is, you know that's horseshit, okay? Uh, What do the people feel about it, though? Uh, What would a national divorce look like? Would it be something we'd be able to live with? What do you think? those of you across the country working the dirty jobs that is the power and the glue of this country. We're going to get into it for a hot minute, and then I'm going to offer my righteous American opinion down here on the ground with all of you and what I think of all of that. So take a break. When you come back, we'll get into it. Um, And that's the beauty of the podcast here, folks. You can take a break, make a sandwich, go to work, go out to dinner. Uh, You can even take a nap, and you can come back later, and you won't have missed a thing. And trust me, you wouldn't want to anyway. So stick around, folks, or come back later. Either way, you're not going to miss a thing, so stay tuned. Resist tyranny. Rebel against the tyrant. Remove the corrupt. Restore the republic. Restore the republic.
3: Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. He tells National Geographic everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus evolved in nature and then jumped species.
4: Tony Fauci knew from the beginning
5: that COVID may have been manufactured in China in dangerous experiments he helped pay for. The lab leak theory, it turns out, was never crazy. So why did they lie to us about it for so long?
1: Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not
3: retract that statement. I can tell you that there is a significant amount of evidence that this came from that laboratory in Wuhan.
1: Seriously? What was when let you me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmittability to humans. Right. you're saying that's not gain of function, yeah?
3: That is correct. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite
1: frankly. And I want to say that officially, you do not know what you are talking about. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals, and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function? It is not. It's a dance, and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world from a pandemic there will be responsibility for those who funded the lab, including yourself. And you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. You're the one. And and you are implying
3: that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you.
0: His agency funded coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in conjunction with the Chinese military. Fauci was up to his neck funding research in Wuhan, and it's something he himself eventually, just a couple of months ago, had to admit.
1: It was incumbent
3: upon us to study the animal-human interface and to understand what potential these viruses have of infecting humans, which then might damage the United States. So please let me finish. So you don't want to go to Hoboken, New Jersey, or to Fairfax, Virginia, to be studying the bat-human interface that might lead to an outbreak. So you go to China.
6: Dr. Fauci first called this you know, lab leak theory, quote, a shiny object that will go away. But then he testifies in a lawsuit brought by Missouri and Louisiana that he dismissed the lab leak to placate China out of fear it would, quote, increase tensions with China.
3: I believe Dr. Fauci has lied to Congress, which is a felony, when he has stated that the federal government did not fund gain of function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He elevated politics above science and medicine. There has been no person who has done more to destroy trust in the scientific and medical community than Dr. Anthony Fauci. Who told millions of Americans lies willingly, knowingly, glibly, supremely arrogantly. Um, Should there be an accountability in any sane system, he would be prosecuted for lying under oath and he would go to jail for lying under oath to Congress.
5: tell you what folks the day of reckoning is coming for Anthony Fauci if you caught the clip in the montage uh, the man admitted to lying about everything because he was trying to placate China this man has lied about the origins of the virus the masks the vaccines all of it Uh, and if you've just recently become a follower of the last stand with your less than humble host Wild Bill of the Wild Bill fame Uh, Then take a listen to the COVID casts back in season one, Uh, particularly the episode appropriately titled, Everything is a Lie. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, It's good to be back. And um, Now look, I know this is March, okay? This was supposed to be February's episode, and it is, okay, because I have made it so. Uh, But there were reasons why this is being published in March, folks, okay? The first of which is Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments about a national divorce, bringing up the subject yet again. That's right, folks, this isn't a new concept conjured up by Marjorie Taylor Greene, and we're going to talk about it for a hot minute, so buckle in and hold on to your butts, because it's go time. All right. So, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the national divorce, an issue that Marjorie Taylor Greene brought up. Um, and uh, man oh man, was it an explosive issue! Everybody was talking about it, right? Uh, and the pundits and uh, politicians on the left, of course, were you know spouting off their <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greens, trying to call for for, for a civil war. And all that. They're trying to separate the people, which, you know, uh, for the Democrats to be outraged over the discussion of a national divorce uh, is kind of ironic to me. And what do I say about irony, folks? Irony can be so ironic at times because this is what the Democrats are trying to do anyway, right? Uh, they have been trying to segregate and separate the people and pitting them against each other by race and by class among other things. This is what they've been doing. And for them to be so outraged by the suggestion that we discuss a national divorce, you know, their outrage is is kind of shallow and fake. Um, It only exists because a Republican actually, you know, made the suggestion, right? So, anyway, uh, the talk of a national divorce has been around for a long damn time, folks, okay? Uh, National divorce or what might be called secession, has been around for for a good long while. Because as history has shown, the states don't always get along, right? And really the people, the people uh, don't get along, all right, for whatever reason, okay? And this is especially true when it comes to state governments and the people's relationship with the federal government. At least that's what, what it is more and more today. Now, certainly this has been the case in history, but these days, it's not just the arguments between the state and federal governments, folks. Okay? These days, some people are suggesting the idea of a national divorce or a split okay, over ideological differences between the people of the states and within the states. All right? Now, in the old days, so to speak, it was presented simply as states' rights to separate from the union uh, for any number of reasons. All right, the, the most famous, of course, being what the southern states consider to be economic reasons all right, and the issue of slavery that surrounded it uh, as a major part uh, of what they held as economic freedom. Okay? Uh, secessions had a long history, all right, but as a threat, more often than not, than an actual uh, movement uh, or effort to dissolve the Union. Right? Now, pro, pro-secessionists... Okay, which, which I think is a little different than national divorce advocates today. Uh, but pro-secessionists back then found philosophical justifications for altering or abolishing a government uh, and instituting a new one in the Declaration of Independence. And that's true. If you read the, the Declaration of Independence, it does make that provision. Now, more specifically, those who held that the union was simply a compact or an agreement among the states argued that the states could secede from that agreement just as they had earlier accepted it, okay? The southern states felt pretty much the same, right? Uh, And what's more, they were willing to go to war over it, all right? Uh, Which is precisely what most people think when we talk about national divorce today, Uh, a war between the states, okay? A civil war, which, as you know, is about as uncivil as it gets. Uh, What I think is more likely here is not necessarily a war between the states, although that, you know, it seems... You know, if you're paying attention to what the left has been doing for the last few decades, uh, it would seem that we're drifting that way, right, to actual conflict. Um, But what I think is more likely here is a war between the states and the federal government, the people of these states that are trying to reduce the authority and the power and the overreach of the federal government. I think that's what it is. I think that's where it's going today. I think that's what most people mean by a national divorce uh, these days. Uh, And certainly that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene meant, right? So what is a national divorce in the 21st century? Well, like I said, the concept uh, is founded in history as secession, okay? Secession from the Union. And we have a history of secession or attempted secessions. Throughout history, and the recent discussions of national divorce uh, are, are rooted in all of that, okay? And to understand how similar the two concepts are and how dissimilar the concepts are, let's talk about what came before, right? Now, <clears throat> politics uh, and the discussions of secession from the Union uh, from 1860 to 1865, all right? Let's, let's talk about that. James Madison and Thomas Jefferson Uh, While never uh, advocating for secession, they had clearly enunciated the states' rights uh, agreement doctrine, or compact doctrine, uh, in the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions of 1798. Their political opponents, New England Federalists, briefly considered withdrawing from the Union at the Hartford Convention in 1814. The Mississippi question had elicited hints of secession from pro-slavery states, but the famous Missouri Compromise of 1820 uh, tempor- temporarily calmed all that down. Okay? South Carolinians, however, went to the very brink of secession in the 1830s over the tariff question uh, of the time. All right? From the 1840s to 1860s, Southerners frequently threatened to withdraw from the Union uh, as anti-slavery sentiment in the North grew stronger. The Compromise of 1850 eased some of that sectional strife, but the problem of permitting or prohibiting slavery in the Western territories continued to inflame opinions on both sides throughout the 1850s. So there's this back and forth as we continue to expand uh, West. There's this question of, are we going to allow slavery in these new states or are we going to prohibit it? The Republican Party was formed during this decade, all right, around the idea that the territories should remain free. For example, slaveholding should not be permitted in them. Okay? Every man was free. The Southerners had vowed that the election of any Republican president in 1860 would make secession an absolute certainty. All right? they, were ready, they were ready to do it, okay? knowing that a Republican candidate, if they were to uh, be elected president... Uh, based on the anti-slavery views of Republican Party and the people, uh, they they were they were absolutely ready to do it. Okay, now when the Democratic Party disintegrated in 1860 over the over the slavery extension uh, question, Lincoln was then elected as the first Republican president, and this was the beginning of the downfall of the slave states. This is when this is when the Republican Party took a stand uh, and began its movement and efforts to put slavery on the ash heap of history in in the United States. On December 20th, 1860, uh, a special convention that was called in South Carolina uh, saw that uh, an ordinance was unanimously passed uh, for secession, all right? Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, uh, they all followed in January of 1860 Uh, And Texas voted to secede in February of 1861. Now, this is still more than a month before Lincoln was actually president. Okay. Now, prior to Lincoln, James Buchanan had denied the right of secession, but he also denied the right of the federal government to use force against any of the states that would secede from the Union. Now, that leads into the question, can a state constitutionally secede from the Union? Now this this question goes all the way back to those days, folks. In 1860, the Dubuque Herald, a newspaper uh, back in the day, uh, wrote an article or published an article uh, in November of 1860, uh, asking this very question: Can a state constitutionally secede? Now it it uh, I don't know who wrote the article, but uh, but whoever the author of that article was uh, wrote. This is one of the questions of the day, and it appears to be no longer a mere abstract or theoretical question. The Constitution makes no provision for secession. A government is not a corporation whose existence is limited by a fixed period of time, nor does it provide a means for its own dissolution. The Constitution of the United States provides that it may be amended, and it does prescribe how this may be done, but it does not, as it it exists now, contemplate its own destruction, nor a dissolution of the government of which it is the living evidence of. Constitutionally, there can be no such thing as secession of a state from the Union. But it does not follow that because a state cannot secede constitutionally that it is obliged under all circumstances to remain in the union. There is a natural right which is reserved by all men and which cannot be given to any government and no government can take it away. It is the natural right of a people to form a government for their mutual protection, for the promotion of their mutual welfare, and for such other purposes as as they may deem most conducive to their mutual happiness and prosperity. But if for any cause the government so formed should become inimical to the rights and interests of the people, instead of affording protection to their persons and property and securing the happiness and prosperity of, it is the natural right of the people to change the government regardless of the Constitution. For be it born in mind, the Constitution is an agreement made among the people that the government formed by it is to be just such a government as it prescribes That when it recognizes a right to exist, it must protect the person in the enjoyment of that right. And when it imposes a reciprocal duty upon a portion of the people, the performance of that duty, it will have enforced. When a government fails in any of these essential respects, uh, it's not the government that the people intended it to be. And it's the people's right to modify it or to abolish it. So if the rights of the people of the United States as recognized by the Constitution are not secured to them by the government and the people of any state have no other means to redress their grievances except by separating themselves from their oppressors, it is their undoubted natural right to do so. Interesting. So as far back as 1860, we find the discussion of a national divorce uh, and the issue of secession and whether or not it's constitutionally supported. Uh, we find that discussion being had. Okay? Now, the long and the short of it from the Dubuque Herald's perspective uh, here is secession is not constitutionally supported simply because the Constitution, uh, being a pact between the people and the government that they chose, does not and did not fathom the idea that this promise or this pact could be undone. In other words, a government would never contemplate its own demise. However... The Declaration of Independence recognizes and provides the people with recourse, that if the people find that the original pact between the people and the government that it chose uh, has been violated to intolerance, the people have the undeniable right to separate from that agreement and to modify the agreement uh, and to modify that government or throw it out wholesale and begin anew, establishing new guards to promote and secure its principles as outlined in the Declaration and the Preamble to the Constitution. Now, this would suggest that the seceding states would completely separate from the federal government uh, and essentially become countries under their own, okay? And even those discussions were had back in the day. You know, could the southern states have become their own countries with their own central governments and their own state governments Uh, And how, you know, how would this affect the relationship between the Union and the Confederacy? But if you listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and other advocates, uh, listen to them about the national divorce issue, there's one huge difference between the secession issue of the 1860s and the national divorce of the 21st century. Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't suggest that blue states and red states become their own countries, all right. Or, or, or even their own governments completely independent from the federal government. What she proposes is something different. And that would be allowing the states to operate and live according to the prevailing political and social and economic ideologies and philosophies recognized today. The leftist Democrat Party's desire for extreme socialist communist type governments that disregard the absolute truths that are the foundations of a republic such as ours and instead allow for the affectations of a group think uh, ideology as prescribed by the government and the woke individuals and groups that support it versus the principles of a constitutional republic that is less intrusive government a loyalty to the truths that are the foundation of a decent and moral and independent people and the individual opportunity and prosperity that that flourishes and benefits the entirety of the state without the government's theft of that property or its intrusion into the lives and minds of the people who would be prosperous and free to pursue such prosperity and happiness under that form of government. In other words, the federal government would still have the obligation to conduct itself as prescribed by the Constitution of the United States. Only now, the states would be separate from each other. All right? In other words, the federal government would be applying constitutional obligations uh, of protection, uh, you know, equal under federal law, uh, among other things. But it wouldn't be able to interfere in the lives of the people in either state by virtue of, say... Federal income taxes, border issues, and so on and so forth, okay? The two ideologies located in two different groups of states being governed by a restricted but constitutionally obligated federal government. I think that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is getting at, and that is very different from a secession, uh, a complete separation from the federal government, all right, Or, or... I, I, I know where she's going with this. I can kind of, I can, I can understand where she's going with this. Uh, we would be, <laughs> we would be not so much the United States of America. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. All right. But, but what she's trying to do is to, like I said, limit the overreach uh, of authority and power of the federal government over the people and over the states and return some of those powers and authorities back to the people and to the states. That's the difference, Uh, you know, and still maintaining the constitutionally uh, provided for federal government. All right. The central government. I think that's what she's going for. And I think that's completely different than an actual separation from the union and it's, Central government. Now, like I said, all of this is is uh, you know all this is very interesting, um, but you know as expected, uh, we were going to get some uh, severe backlash from those on the left. All right, uh, the Democrats, of course, were going to be all over this because the Republicans said it. Okay, but if you'll remember, you know, in recent years, all right, talk of secession from the union. Uh, <laughs> that's all the left was about uh, back during the days of Donald Trump. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Irony is so ironic sometimes. That's all they were about when Donald Trump became president. Oh, they were they were all the time talking about you know national divorces and and, and actual secession. All right, Donald Trump was going to be the end of of the republic. All right, but um, you know. Now they're, they're all against it because, you know, of course, a Republican made the comment, uh, and they're all against that, all right? Now, <laughs> you know, I've looked at a few polls, a few surveys. There aren't many of them, okay? Like I said, there's more polls out there and uh, discussions of civil war than there is of the national divorce, uh, you know, the, the, the kind that Marjorie Taylor Greene is suggesting, Okay. Now, while a lot of these surveys uh, are suggesting that large percentages of Americans are open to some version of a national divorce, all right, the idea or or the the message that they want to convey is that a national divorce is not the cure-all for the country's problems, all right? And I don't think that either, all right? I don't think a national divorce in any way, shape, or form— uh, is going to cure the problem that we have. All right, you have to, <laughs> you have to get to the root of the problem. All right, uh, <laughs> the root of the, the the root cause. Right. Uh, I, you know, look, um, you know, all of this encourages productive discussions about the relationship between the people, the states, and the federal government, which I think is is. Uh, I think that's productive, all right? I think that's helpful, all right? And I think that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, whomever agrees with her are kind of going for. But uh, let me remind you, all right, that most conservatives do not favor the idea of a national divorce. I don't, all right? And uh, Matt Gaetz uh, was one such conservative who opined on this issue recently.
6: Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman for a few years now, has called for something akin to a national divorce.
2: Red states could choose and uh, how they allow people to vote in their states. What I think would be something that some red states could propose is, well, okay, if, if Democrat voters uh, choose to flee these blue states where they cannot tolerate the living conditions, they don't want their children taught these horrible things and they really change their mind on the types of policies that they support, well, once they move to a red state, guess what? Maybe you don't get to vote for five years.
6: Okay, well, first, a law prohibiting American citizens who've not committed a crime from voting would probably not withstand legal scrutiny. And second, how would this, like a national divorce, be good for conservatism? Now, why would we want to embrace the states that gave us Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, but essentially give up on the states that gave us Reagan? and Trump. Imagine if Youngkin had given up on Virginia, or if Republicans in Long Island gave up on New York. The last thing we need is an American breakup of any sort. Joining me now is Florida Congressman Matt Gates, Congressman, now, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, said in her tweet that we need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. Well, Again, I understand how frustrating it is to see these states, again, descend into darkness. But do you agree with what she's saying here?
0: I'm not for a national divorce, but I do think the federal government should at least have to spend the night on the couch for, the, for a while, like, you know, Bill Clinton had to after the Monica Lewinsky stuff. I've been with Marjorie Taylor Greene as we've traveled to places like California advocating for the God-fearing, red-blooded Americans who live there and too often we see a homogenized federal wokeness pushed on parts of the country who don't want it. Uh, I believe that the best pushback is a national renewal, not a national divorce. It's something that Marjorie Taylor Greene is certainly helping to inspire. But like, look, we're a country that when we had the presidency, the House and the Senate, we couldn't even secure the border. So I don't believe we would be able to effectuate any type of national mm. divorce. And I think that the politics of... Uh, the America first priorities would do a great deal to unify us. And hey, it it would be one thing, Laura, to reject a national divorce more fervently if we didn't have our leaders cheating on the country with Ukraine, which is what we saw from President Biden recently. So I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is making an invigorated argument for federalism, which I think a lot of voters would ascribe to. I don't think that it's helpful when we have uh, Democrats trying to divide us, even divide parents from their own children by pushing woke ideology in the classroom. So the way to make this debate constructive is for the House of Representatives under Republican control to use the power of the purse to defund the woke, weaponized federal government from the Department of Education to the Department of Labor to even elements of the Department of Justice and the FBI. And that's where there has to be Republican stridents, not just in press releases and floor speeches, but when we actually get to the debt limit and the appropriations bills. And guess what? Because of the fights that we had in early January, we actually have exquisite tools now to target those agencies and Time target those it. bureaucrats with specific votes to defund them and defang them.
6: Yeah, and, and also legislation that it does have some bipartisan support like banning TikTok and removing the permanent normal trade relations status for China. That would that would shake it up. Congressman, great to see you. And again, we empathize with the frustration of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Just not the solution.
5: Now, I agree with Laura Ingram 100 percent. Okay, but as I said, I was able to find a couple of articles that actually uh, talk about the national divorce issue. Uh, And to be honest, I was surprised at what I read uh, in these articles, one one in particular written by the Daily Mail. All right. Online internet kind of thing um it's uh, the, the the title of the uh, the article is a third of americans agree with marjorie taylor green's national divorce call 47 percent of republicans back the bid for red states to split according to a shocking new poll and then underneath it it has the quote we need a national divorce says georgia republican representative marjorie taylor green in a twitter post that garnered nearly 35 million views 35 million views You know, one of the things that I found when I was, you know, on the Googs, uh, kind of researching some of this, uh, what you find in the midst of the political national divorce issue, you'll also find, um, a few articles scattered here and there about marital divorce, you know, divorcing out of marriage. One of the, (laughs) one of them said, uh, the national divorce rate has fallen to its lowest point in decades. 73% of U.S. adults say divorce is morally acceptable. So maybe, maybe that, you know, maybe that m- makes sense uh, with this 35 million views that supported uh, Green's as- uh, assessment of the situation here. In an article written by Caitlin Corral... Okay, she's a U.S. political reporter for the DailyMail.com. Uh, she wrote on March 2nd, 2023, a surprising number of Americans agree with Georgia Firebrand Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene that the United States needs a national divorce where red red and blue states would separate and the federal government would be shrunk. 34% of the 1,000 likely voters surveyed by Rasmussen reports said that they agree with Green, but still 57% disagree with the premise. When broken down by party, Republicans are split on the matter with just a 5% margin of those who agree and disagree, while 26% of Democrats say they agree with the pro-Trump Republican Congresswoman. Well, I'm gonna tell you, remember what I, what I just talked about a minute ago? During the Trump administration, that's all the Democrats were about, man. (laughs) That's, they were, you know, leave the country, national divorce. Uh, Stunning. She goes on to write, a majority of Democrats, 67%, say they are against Marjorie Taylor Greene's idea, while 42% of Republicans also disagree with her. Like I said, during the Trump years, you might have been able to, absolutely just reverse these numbers. One fourth of independent voters surveyed February 21st to the 23rd are in favor of a national divorce, but 63% are against it. Hmm. Overall, nine percent of all voters are not sure how they feel about this idea of splitting the country into Republican and Democrat states. And then, of course, she gets into the last time that the states had separated based on ideology uh, and, you know, in the whole American Civil War thing. All right. Uh, but then she continues the sheer fact that more than one third of the country is open to the potential of a national divorce shows the growing sentiment of resentment that voters feel toward the opposing party. Currently, 29 of the 50 states are led by Republican governors, and 24 states have voted for Republicans in at least three or four of the last four presidential elections. When just taking into account the 2022 Senate elections, 27 states voted red. All in all, the country would be pretty evenly split, with a slight lean toward Republican states outnumbering Democrat states. The population disparity would be huge with the denser populated states leaning Democrat and the ones with more landmass, but fewer people leaning Republicans. Yeah, we, we also have, it, 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 there's an argument to be had there. Who's got more guns? <laughs> uh, I'm just stirring it up with the battling stick. In another article that I found, uh, <clears throat> I can't remember which article this is. I forgot to write it down. But uh, it starts out, the idea of a national divorce can mean at least two things, according to Ryan Griffiths, uh, who's a political science professor at Syracuse University, who specializes in the study of secession and state sovereignty. The first interpretation of a national divorce is sovereign secession, when a portion of a country breaks away and declares independence. That's a very difficult path that I think people throw out for rhetorical purposes, Griffiths said. It's very rare to have a peaceful divorce. Is she talking about a national divorce or, or a marriage divorce? Maybe both. The second interpretation would involve Washington, D.C., shifting power to the states and possibly a reshuffling of state borders to align the interests of groups in those regions with other like-minded groups. And it's this second view that is most likely held by Marjorie Taylor Greene and the majority of those who, just, who suggest the need for a national divorce. Now, this is uh, this is Chuck DeVore, who's the chief national initiatives officer at Texas Public Policy Foundation and is an author of the book uh, The Crisis of the House Never United, a novel of early America. I never read the book. Chuck DeVore goes on to say when people refer to a national divorce in that context, what they're talking about is that there's no room anymore for meaningful local or state level adjustments. Instead, we increasingly have a very powerful national government that will tell you what to do, and often the person doing the telling isn't even elected. Well, that's a true statement. The day after her President's Day tweet, Green clarified her position, saying that she wasn't calling for civil war, as the Democrats uh, proclaimed, but rather for a legal agreement to separate our ideological and political disagreements by states while maintaining our legal union. Well, like I said earlier in the show— People are fickle, man. You, I don't you, you just can't corral uh, people of a particular ideology into one place. Things change. Uh, Green had said that most federal programs should be abolished, that states should have complete control over education, economic regulations and election laws, and that the Department of Defense should be limited to protecting the borders in the country. Yeah, I can kind of get behind that. Uh, Chuck DeVore said that uh, these desires are well-founded and fit into a long history of American political thought, but there's a very vocal minority who literally advocate for a region of the country divorcing itself completely from the rest of the country. Now, Francis Buckley, who is a... Foundation professor at the Antonin Scalia Law School of George Mason University and author of American Secession, The Looming Threat of a National Breakup, uh, says that Americans should never completely rule out the possibility of secession. If secession is off the table, then we're back into the British Empire. So if you're an American, uh, I think you have to begin with the idea that secession is sometimes permitted, he said. Following the Civil War, the Supreme Court declared secession unconstitutional in a case called Texas v. White. However, the decision is often disputed as being politically motivated because the Constitution doesn't mention a state's right to secede, much less prohibit it. That's right. Even so, according to Buckley, a peaceful secession would likely require a constitutional amendment through a convention of states. Yeah, I agree with that. Here's where it gets weird, folks, uh, where we get some actual numbers. A 2021 survey conducted by the University of Virginia Center for Politics found that 84% of Trump voters and 80% of Biden voters viewed elected officials from the opposing party as a clear and present danger to the American democracy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I don't I don't disagree. I I can't dispute that. Um, The numbers, those numbers are probably true. The same survey found that 52% of Trump voters and 41% of Biden voters said that they would favor states seceding from the union to form their own separate country. Well, just go back to what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm like, reverse, you know what I'm saying? Reverse all of this during the Trump years. Democrats were all about... Seceding <laughs> or divorcing, you know, Trump states, you know what I mean? Uh, the numbers were very high among Democrats when Trump was in the presidency. These findings were supported uh, by another 2021 survey uh, conducted by Brightline Watch, where U.S. respondents were asked whether they would support their state seceding to join a new union. Over a third of the respondents indicated a willingness to secede, including 66% of Southern Republicans and 47% of West Coast Democrats. While calls from the left for some sort of national divorce became more common after Trump's election in 2016 and before the 2020 election, talk of secession in recent years has come mostly from the right. That's the claim, right? It goes back and forth, folks. I still think... It's kind of ironic, you know, so they're trying to say that recently the right is calling for national divorce more than the Democrats are these days. Like I said, you go back to the Trump election. That's all the Democrats were about. Rather, her goal was to earn the media spotlight or voice sincerely held political opinions. Green's Twitter posts express a discontent with the federal government that's shared by many conservatives around the country. Now, in conclusion here, Buckley says uh, the idea is to get the conversation started where it'll probably lead to a more decentralized country or government, which better respects the feelings of people within each state. But according to Griffith, uh, despite the attention given to Green's statements, talk of a national divorce is far from normalized. And that's a good thing. She says, I think there's a lot to be made by just having some couples counseling, so to speak. All right. Uh, She says, I think that's far better for the U.S., and there's so much more to be gained by taking that path. Now, incidentally, when I was looking through, you know, the googs, uh, looking at this issue, I happened to find an article written about or by uh, a podcast called Chicks on the Right. Okay. and I, and I really have to wonder if maybe more people kind of share their oh, thoughts on this whole national divorce deal. Um, we went through the numbers, but this is how, I, I think I would characterize this as how a lot of people are kind of um, expressing uh, their interest in a national divorce. Now, the chicks on the right uh, is a podcast, okay? Okay. It's hosted by Amy Joe Clark and Miriam Weaver. Uh, this politically conservative duo known professionally on the air as Daisy and Macarena uh, started their collaboration in 2009 from their home base in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, they were radio broadcasters in Indianapolis for seven years. Uh, they worked together. Amy Joe left radio in late 2020 while Miriam continued for another year. And then both... Chicks, decided to focus 100% of their attention on a podcast called Chicks on the Right, okay? Uh, and they started that in February of 2022. Daisy, uh, which, who I believe is Amy Jo Clark, uh, Daisy uh, published her podcast uh, in 2023, February of 2023. Looks like she said, uh, she said the following, I have talked about getting a national divorce for well over a year now. I used to joke about it, but now I'll say it out loud, and I don't laugh as much when I say it now. Liberals see our country and the world in a completely different way than I do, so it's hard for me to think about balancing a budget with them, let alone living harmoniously with them for the long haul. In the past two years, we've gone from stability to circling the drain, due entirely to their policies, and they simply can't and won't see that. They think that everything is sunshine and roses. They're blind to their socialism. They want socialism. We do not because we understand what the founders wanted. Take a look around the country right now. Everything's falling apart, just like an actual marriage. It's pretty apparent to me that when one person is delusional, has control of the checkbook, and is writing blank checks while our family is flat-ass broke, it's time for the sane the, the same person in the relationship to start figuring out a way to rationally and methodically take back some of the control. I have nothing in common with this liberal spouse anymore. Y'all these folks believe that biological men are women, that weather is the biggest threat to our national security and that Kamala Harris, Rachel Levine and Pete Buttigieg are actually competent at their jobs and weren't hired based on identity politics. They believe that the lockdowns were a good thing. They're all about big daddy government, and they're bloodthirsty for World War III. What the fuck? It's not your parents' Democrat party anymore, folks. They've gone off the rails when it comes to cultural issues. Did you watch the Grammys? Dylan Mulvaney was Biden's special guest in the White House for crying out loud. Have you seen them frothing at the mouth when it comes to abortion? It's no longer safe, legal, and rare anymore, but rather celebrate murdering babies. And I don't agree with Marjorie Taylor Green all the time, but I do agree with her when she says the left and the right can't even agree on causes of death anymore, even when the numbers don't lie. Drug overdose deaths, uh 107,477 for the year, gun-related deaths including suicide 44,000. Data is data. Now, a lot of ignorance these days lies in the hands of our Democrat-run media. They're culpable for so much of why people have no freaking clue what's really going on in the world. But then there's the dismal lack of critical thinking ability in people these days, and it gets worse with every generation. Yeah, I'd kind of agree with that. Folks simply don't know how to think anymore. People don't want to work at doing anything, let alone thinking for themselves. Effort of any kind is too much effort. Someone else, namely the government, just needs to do and provide things for them, right? What many people don't understand because they're dumb, thanks American education system, is that the government is the American taxpayer. And the American taxpayer is getting more and more squeezed by the minute. Eventually, you're going to run out of other people's money. Consequently, that other person in the marriage who's been taken advantage of and beat up for years and years, they'll get to the breaking point where they just want out. Listen, I'm down with however it shakes out. As long as we get the Californians out of Boston and restore it to its former glory. Now, look, folks, I'll say this, uh, and then I'm going to move on, okay? The idea of a national divorce is not a good one, okay? Not because I think it can't be done, uh, because I absolutely think that there are people that think they could get it done, uh, but because from my perspective, it would enable state governments to be potential tyrants in their own right. The idea that people should be herded into one state uh, or the other based upon their beliefs and political affiliations and how they choose to live their life, to me, is a form of tyranny. The idea that people wouldn't be able to have a voice in any one state or the other is tyranny. Creating separate states based upon political affiliation is segregation and does nothing to unify a people. Conservatives are against segregation and discrimination of any kind. And the red state, blue state affectation would simply pave the way for more segregation and discrimination. The real solution to turning the tides against the woke in this country and the leftist fascist Democrat party ideology is in restoring our principled foundation as articulated in the declaration and in the constitution. We've allowed the culture to degrade. We've tolerated being run over by policies that destroy sovereignty, opportunity, prosperity, liberty, common sense, critical thinking, and unmitigated truth in this country. And the only way to return to all of that is to defeat the ideologies in the arena of ideas and debate and action. And that's going to require all of us to participate in our system and processes. It's going to require the people's obligation to understanding what they're voting for and what effect it will have on the republic. It's going to require that we know what the people that we are voting for are all about and what they've done and what they've said. We simply can't afford to have candidates who can't formulate a coherent sentence taking office and occupying a seat in our representative government. It's going to require a media establishment to tell the truth and the whole story rather than the talking points of one political party. And we don't have that anymore. If it were possible, I would love to see the people sue the mainstream media for being political shills for one ideology and distorting the truth, hiding the truth, and lying to the people outright. I mean, where's the watchdog for the people? And for God's sakes, let's stop talking about automatic term limits For our representatives. Yes, I understand that we have term limits for the president and there's good reason that we do. But with regard to our on the ground representatives, they have terms of two or six years, depending on the representative that you're talking about. And in every election, the people ought to be able to evaluate the performance of the representative that they chose and determine whether or not the representative performed well or not. We ought not to just hear the political ideology that representatives claims to represent and cast our vote solely based upon the rhetoric, as New York's 14th congressional district does every single time. There's no way that someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gets reelected if we're responsibly evaluating her performance and judging the long-term effects of what she does or does not do. And that's for any representative in a re-election situation. The people should take responsibility in understanding what they're voting for and what that vote has brought them. And they should have the right to say, we want this representative to continue or we need to replace this representative with someone else. If you put the automatic term limit in, you take away that ability and that right. Now, make no mistake, I absolutely think that the people Of these United States are increasingly at odds with the federal government, and as demonstrated in the last couple of decades, the government is prone to absolute despotism in its ever-growing appetites for power and authority. And I believe that it is incrementally subjugating the states and the people by virtue of its policies. And because I am conservative, I say it is the policies of the left that are increasingly infecting our representative government and the people, I think, are recognizing this. The thing is, the people feel as though there's nothing they can do about it these days. Well, I'm telling you people, there is something you can do about it. Remember, you are the term limit and your representatives, if chosen well, will affect the determined will of the people and uphold the principles and virtues of a constitutional republic. It can't simply be just a mob that tells the representative, you will vote for X, Y, or Z. What we ultimately vote for, who we ultimately vote for, should represent and uphold and defend the principles, virtues, and foundations of a moral decent people and our constitutional republic for which it stands. We have a responsibility. We have a moral obligation and dividing the country, fragmenting the republic into two camps will only deepen the divide and the underlying causes of our decay and degradation of our culture and country. Remember my four R's, people. Resist the left in its immorality and tyrannical tendencies. Rebel against the tyrants, remove the corrupt, and restore the republic. And that's all i gotta say about that now as i said earlier folks this episode for february is uh being published and uh put out there in march okay you're listening to this in march uh and one of the reasons why it was running late now it it probably would have made the last day of february okay but but one of the reasons that it was late was obviously you know i wanted to talk about the national divorce all right that that was over the other issues that i had planned on talking about uh but then uh the national divorce issue came up and uh so that changed a few things so i had to change a few things so that was that was running behind but more importantly uh there was one other thing that um that pushed me back um and uh it's not an easy thing to talk about, but I learned on the last day of February that I had lost my friend Matthew Orr, who went by the name Matt Knight in the Checkmate with Bishop and Knight podcast fame, um, you know, and, and, and Guy Wire, uh, and Swanton Pod. Um, Matt had succumbed to his struggles and his demons. Um, And when I got the call uh, on the last day of February, I learned that I had lost my friend. Now, Matt was my mechanic in Iraq. And um, for all his trials uh, that he had been through, the troubles that he had been through, through, through any faults that he had, Matt was a very caring individual. Um, You know, you can tell that about him if you're with him long enough. He cared deeply about people and the people in his life. And he was a good friend. You know, I remember when I first met Matt. uh, We had just arrived in Iraq. Um, This was back in 2006. Um, I was watching the Humvee. Uh, That I had had, uh, you know, I was assigned um, and I just finished when out of the blue, uh, Matt was hauling ass on this uh, all-terrain vehicle known as a Gator. Okay, kind of like a four-wheeler. All right. Uh, He'd come around the corner uh, and he was fishtailing and uh, Matt was driving. Um, There was some other guy in the passenger seat. I don't remember who it was. Um, but as Matt came around the corner, he let out this big old rebel yell, uh, and looked right at me with the biggest smile, uh, of teeth that I'd ever seen. Okay. Um, you know, of course, being an older guy, I started cussing, right? Uh, cussing a blue streak about it. But as he's going by me on the hum, on the, uh, gator, he, he doesn't even break eye contact. He didn't even break eye contact with me. He just you know, the biggest smile with teeth uh, looking at me the whole time he's passing me by. Now, uh, <clears throat> I had come to realize that he was one uh, one of about four mechanics assigned to the 105th Engineer Group Higher Headquarters Company. Uh, Matt was rambunctious, as young guys tended to be, and uh, it didn't take long for me to learn that he was kind of a jokester. Um, in other words, you know, he was kind of... He, You know, to me, he was sarcastic. He was kind of a smart ass. Um, But it didn't take me long to realize that in Matt, there was this above average intelligence that allowed him to make the kind of jokes and say the kind of things that he made. Uh, And it made others, you know, you you had to think about it. You know, Uh, Matt was a good mechanic. He was a really good mechanic. You know, and, and in those days, you know, him and his buddies... Uh, would irritate the hell out of me sometimes. But if you knew Matt, even for a little bit, it was hard to hold a grudge with Matt. You know? Uh, he, you know, his dedication um, to our small team of ragtag cooks, admin types, medics, combat engineers, uh, and his dedication to our vehicles was unmatched. He was that good uh you know i remember when we had you know gotten back from our first mission um and it'd been a while um but uh you know we were back from that and uh you know our first mission we were hit with this this what we call a double stack ied um it was two one five five shells stacked on top of each other um and uh our lead vehicle had gotten hit during that mission. Uh, and that vehicle was smashed. It was all smashed to hell. Um, uh, the ballistic windows were caved in, uh, on one side, uh, you know, whole pieces of, of Humvee were torn out. Um, all four wheels had been blown out. Uh, I mean, there was chunks of, you know, turret armor and glass that had been taken out. Uh, And, uh, of course, when it was brought back to base, it was brought to the motor pool area, Uh, you know, right outside of the mechanics garage that Matt occupied. Um, I remember standing there looking at this Humvee, um, just wondering how we had all survived that day. Um, And, you know, I I was kind of getting the idea that, um, you know, that if if this was any indication of what the rest of the year was going to be, it was going to be brutal. Um, Matt had walked out of the garage and had kind of walked over and was standing next to me. And we were just kind of, you know, we were looking at this Humvee. Um, I don't even know if we said anything to each other. Um, but I remember feeling that, that, that there was a, a change in this guy, right? Uh, in that moment, you know, maybe it was the uh, sense of resolve, that I felt in him. But from that day on, uh, Matt was relentless in his dedication to the needs of the team. You know, you know, my team, Uh, you know, we were the archangels. Uh, We were 13 Muldoons, 13 soldiers uh, in four Humvees. Uh, We were known as the archangels and Matthew uh, became an integral part of that team. You know, the, the, the loyalty and the camaraderie between Matt and the rest of the team uh, grew. I mean, it, it, he became one of us. You know, um, you know I, I don't think I was the oldest guy on the team, but, you, you know, I think I was the second oldest guy on the team. Uh, you know, I was almost 20 years older than Matt. Um, and, and 20 years older than, than, than the kids on the team. So, you know, Matt and I, we didn't spend a lot of time hanging out, you know, um, but he, you know, he was there and, uh, there were times when, you know, if I'd be talking to one of the younger guys, uh, you know, in the team, you know, Matt would generally be around there, you know, um, after every mission, um, You know, which sometimes spanned days, Uh, you know, I'd I'd go to the motor pool and I'd get ready for the next mission. And uh, every time Matt would be there, you know, he'd be fixing our vehicles, he'd be improving them, Um, you know, asking if there's anything that we need for our vehicles. You know, Matt and I did have a few conversations that I remember about, you know, how we could, you know, reinforce some of the old armor. Um, attach certain kind of mounts on the turrets um, all kinds of things you know I remember having you know a few few conversations with Matt about all of that, and it was clear to me that he was that he was really thinking that he that he really cared about our vehicles and about the team you know he was there for the team he was a, he, he, he was solid and um no matter the ta- you know no matter the time of day uh, or night matt was there for the team you know making things work and then uh you know a year later you know it was over and we had all gone home to our respective lives you know um you know, it happens a lot in the National Guard units. You know, when we all get back, you know, we, we kind of scatter into the four winds. And that's precisely what a lot of us did. In 2009, I volunteered to go to Afghanistan. Um, I came back in 2011. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, at the time, you know, g- getting back from Afghanistan and uh, the years that followed, you know, m- you know, my life had taken some, some, some turns. That weren't good uh, for various reasons, uh, but mostly because I was a hard headed jackass, okay but um, you know I don't remember what year it was, uh, but it was probably it was probably like six years, maybe seven years maybe um, that you know since since we had gotten back from Iraq um, and i I know I was still doing private investigation stuff, I was still doing surveillance. Uh, you know, for, as a private investigator. Um, And I'd went to this Verizon store in King, North Carolina. I can't even tell you why I was going in there. Um, But I'd I'd walk through the door and, uh, you know, no sooner do I walk through the door and I hear my name, you know, being called out. Um, And I looked up and uh, there he was. Uh, You know, Matt, there was Matt. And, um, you know, it kind of took me a second to realize, Hey, this, this is, this is the guy that was in Iraq with us, you know, it's a small world, you know, Matt and I talked for about 45 minutes about, you know, life, you know, what we, what we had done after the, you know, we got back, uh, and what we were doing these days. And, uh, you know, by the time, you know, that I'd left the store, we had, we had decided to stay in touch and um over the next few years you know as is the norm <laughs> you know we hadn't we hadn't seen each other uh over the next few years you know that's the way life is uh sometimes and I think it was um yeah was, I'm t- 2016 in 2016 my life had finally started to get better okay I'd started to you know turn things around uh get on a better path um you know, I'd been able to put everything behind me uh, and start building a better life. All right. Now, now by 2018, uh, 2019, uh, I'd already bought a house. You know, I'm putting roots down in my town. Uh, I'd been to Europe, followed by a deployment to Africa. Um, and when I got back in 2020, you know, of course, the COVID madness was in full swing. Right. Uh, I was all over social media about it you know, the book of face and all of that. Um, And that's where Matt found me again. You know, we, we reconnected on the book of face. uh, And I think that's where this, this deeper friendship started to grow here. Okay. Um, You know, he and I were were of the same mind on many of the issues that you find on social media these days. Uh, His interest in participation in, in, in debating, on social media, commenting, uh, as well as the the characteristic sarcasm and smartass humor that he had uh, when it came to the government and to the Democrats, you know, all of that really struck a chord with me, you know, and uh, you know our conversations grew and uh, continued to grow as we talked about you know all the things. And, um, you know, kind of joked about the current state of affairs in the world. All right. And then it was in 2021 uh, that Matt had contacted me and told me about this new thing that he was getting into this podcasting. Um, The Checkmate with Bishop and Knight podcast uh, was an idea that that Kevin had come up with. uh, And and Matt wanted to explore it. You know, he wanted to do it and they were doing it um, at that time. And um, he wanted to invite me as the very first guest on the show. Now, of course, I went, uh, you know, but it it was it was uh, I was kind of flattered that that he was asking me, you know. That's where I met Kevin Bishop for the first time. Uh, And, you know, during the whole thing, (laughs) we we really had a good time that evening. All right. Uh, Kevin Bishop became a very good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, honestly, I went there early and, 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 and it was the first time that Matt and I had been able to hang out and talk and, you know, drink beer, uh, and just be guys, you know, uh, just be friends. And in the following year, I'd been to Matt several times, uh, to do podcast stuff. Uh, you know, I, I helped him pick up furniture for his apartment, um, you know, things like that. And every visit that I made, you know, to to Matt's place, I felt that we'd become closer and better friends. You know, um, you know, it was Matt that got me interested in podcasting in the first place. You know, he's the one in, that that uh, inspired me to develop this show. I learned everything I could about these these programs and systems from Matt. You know, um, he was he, he he taught me a lot of this stuff. Um, and I realized how much I enjoyed, you know, doing this podcast thing. And I looked forward to, uh, you know, the day when I can do it all the time. But at that time, Matt had given me an outlet, something that I really enjoyed doing. And, um, you know, we talked to each other all the time and uh, collaborated on a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, since we lived in two different cities, we spent a lot of time on, you know, duo uh, or other internet communications, um, where we could, you know, kind of talk about things. And, um, I, I, I'll never forget this. One evening we were talking about, but we had gotten under the subject of my ex wife. Um, and I, I don't even remember what, what got us there, but, you know, he'd said, you know, I've never heard you say one bad thing about Michelle. And, um, you know, I, I, I agreed with him. I, you know, there was, I don't have a bad thing to say about her. I can't, I, I don't. Um, and that's when, you know, we, he kind of opened up, you know, um, we talked about the relationships that, that we had already had and, and, and how we had grown over the years to understand, you know, our, our lives, uh, and the people in them, you know, um, I told him that, um, you know, Michelle had been you know kind of the impetus and uh, the biggest reason for so much positive change in my life, and uh, you know she was really behind me uh, making those changes, right And uh, like I said, matt Matt opened up to me and told me that life really began to change for him uh, fundamentally when he had met. You know, his wife, Allison. You know, he and I, um, we had that mutual respect and understanding of each other. You know, two guys who had gone through hell, um, tough times, and uh, gotten past it all. And uh, both of us could relate, um, you know, to a good woman in our life and what that meant for each of us. You know it it was it was a profound conversation and it was what I saw as the deepening of our friendship you know it was sort of like the next level in the evolution of our friendship you know and I remember thinking to myself you know this is such an unlikely friendship you know uh I'm like 20 years older than this guy uh and you know Neither he or I could have predicted that we would have become friends, you know, so many years after the war. Um, But here here we were, you know, two guys from completely different times in completely different areas uh, brought together as friends because of one year in Iraq. You know, you know, just to give you an idea where I was at the time, you know, Matt was one of two people that i knew that i could go to after work and hang out uh or even on my days off you know doing whatever he was one of two people that i did that with you know where usually it was because of the podcast but you know one of two people you know and then over the over the next year you know 2022 he invited me to you know be 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 at his wedding and um you know, I didn't really know anybody there, but I had met, you know, a few more of his friends that day. You know, you know, and I was honored that he had invited me to the wedding and um, invited me to stay, you know, for the reception. You know, that was a good day. Um, you know, he continued, you know, with his passion of the podcast, uh, Swanton Pod and uh, Guy Wire. Uh, But it was the Swanton Pod that he really had, you know, started to put his energy into, okay? And it was here that he really started to see, you know, his his efforts pay off, you know? Uh, Swanton Pod uh, had started to get some recognition and some popularity in the wrestling world that he enjoyed, okay? He was a big wrestling fan. And I got to say, I never you know, could get into the big boy ballet. Okay. Uh, known to the rest of the world as wrestling. Okay. But, but, but Matt was definitely into it. Okay. It was definitely a passion of his and that passion started to create something in, in, in his world, uh, that was growing. Okay. Would continue to grow. Uh, and, and I think it was, it, you know, it was becoming wildly successful in the podcasting world. Okay. Um, I remember seeing the posts about the first real event that he, uh, and his buddy, um, roadhouse would be going to, uh, and how big that thing was going to be, you know, he was making it, you know, he was making it, he was doing it. And, um, you know, as his friend, uh, I was proud of him. You know, I was, I was really happy that he'd found his niche and uh was succeeding at it you know um you know i had told him before um that uh that i i wanted to get him uh you know him and the guys over to the house uh so that we could do an episode together uh you know all of us you know me bishop uh chris uh roadhouse and matt you know it was gonna be a fun episode you know i really i really couldn't wait to do that and i was excited Uh, for the future of my podcasting, uh, and being around guys who liked, you know, to do podcasting and, and, you know, do it about the things that interested them the most, you know? Um, so I was really excited. I couldn't wait to make that happen. But, um, on the last day of February, (sighs) you know, life had taken a turn that I never wanted it to take, you know? Life had taken that turn that nobody wants to take. You know what I mean? Um, when I got the phone call from Roadhouse and, uh, you know, when he told me what had happened, you know, I was stunned. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, you know, for a good while, the only thing I could say was, you know, to ask Why? Why would he do this, you know? um, I never saw it coming. You know, nobody did. And although that he had left the military, you know, years ago, um, by virtue of the places that we'd been, you know, and the oath that we took, um, you know, he was my brother in arms, you know? And over time, he became my friend. You know, I've, I've been through hell, you know, through the kinds of hell uh, that I made for myself uh, and through the hell of circumstance. Okay. I've witnessed uh, the hell uh, in men that I considered friends and brothers, uh, and I've seen them come out of the other side of those, of those struggles, better men and Matt. Matt was one of those guys, you know, he'd been through hell and uh, had some struggles and some troubles uh, as, as a lot of us do, but he, he'd been through the ringer and uh, he'd come out the other side, a much better man. And as I said, you know, he was my friend, you know, this, 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 this really crushed me. Because I don't understand why why my brother would leave us in this way. You know, because like I said, he made it. You know, he was making it, man. He was my friend. And now he's gone. I don't know why he's gone. You know, I don't, I don't know what... I don't know what, you know... I don't know what caused this. I don't, I don't know why he went out this way. There's nothing that I can do for him. If I had known something, I'd have done something for him. You know, if, I, if I'd have known. But, the, but that's the thing. You know, you don't always get to know, a lot of times, people don't know, and that's by design. You know, we don't we don't recognize we don't always recognize. You know, when somebody's at that point in their life, you know what I mean. I mean, if I'd have known, I'd have certainly done something for him. But, but you know, and I mean. He, he, you know that I know. You, you know, when things like this happen, you cannot blame yourself. You know? You can't blame yourself. But man, I can't stop thinking that if I had known something, that maybe there might have been something I could have done. You know? I just, I don't, I don't understand. I don't think anybody does. Like I said, this one, this one has really crushed me. Uh, Because like I said, he he was making it. And he was my friend. And now he's gone. There's nothing I can do about it now. Except to be there, you know, on, on, on the last day when I offer my respect as a brother and a friend to him and to his family. Christian Matthew Orr is survived by his new wife and his children. I know that he loved them dearly. He was a good man with a good heart. He was a brother to old soldiers and he was my friend. I hope that he's at peace now and I'm going to miss him dearly. You know, one of the things that Matt had told me when I started doing this show was that um, he loved the music that I put into the shows and um, Matt, I know you're listening The music's for you, bud. I'll see you again someday, but not today.